Hello, hi. Thank you for having me. I'm Mariko and Ogarlic. And um, I've been in AA for 13 years, and I'm uh, 13 years of um, chemical sobriety. Always <laughs> say chemical sobriety, not emotional sobriety. Um, and I've been in ACA for about three years. I haven't. I've completed the steps and done everything in AA, but not in ACA. Um, I'm very grateful to be asked to do a chair here. I love this meeting. I love the fact that it's a combination of AA and ACA. Uh, I've never done a chair. It was combining the two, so I'll just have to see how it goes. Most importantly, I'll keep an eye on the time. And I think I'm supposed to read out a reading now. Maria? Yeah. So I was asked to choose a reading from either AA or the Big Red Book, which is the ACA book. And it is big. <laughs> So um, I did choose the reading, and it's not too long, don't worry, um, so I'll just read it out. Um, it's on page 299, um, second paragraph, starting with reparenting. So, reparenting ourselves can mean many things, but the central theme is that we are willing to challenge our, our critical inner voice and to care for the child within. By reparenting ourselves, we lose interest in harming ourselves with addictions and compulsion. We remind ourselves that we have worth. We do this as often as it takes without thought of the repetition or how it might sound to another person. With a loving parent active in our lives, we stop assuming we have done something wrong or may encounter situations that have no right or wrong outcome. On the other hand, if we are a compulsive blamer, we stop looking for people to blame. Or as a loving parent to ourselves, we pause and listen for the things we tell ourselves on a daily basis without thinking about their meaning. Most of us judge, criticize, condemn, or minimize ourselves without realizing the harm we commit to our soul. Even the adult child who seems to blame others without mercy secretly believes he or she has little value as a person. If ACA was a fellowship about becoming your own critical parent, the meeting rooms would be empty. There would be no need for meetings or step work because we already know how to be a critical parent to ourselves. We need no lesson here. We wrote the, we wrote the book on being hypercritical and abandoning of ourselves. We awaken the loving parent inside by actively listening to what we tell ourselves about ourselves. We stop in mid-sentence if we are putting ourselves down or criticizing our thoughts or behaviors. We identify the source of the negativity, which is the inner critic inside all adult children. We face this critical voice with affirmations that state who we truly are. Through reparenting ourselves, we reframe our mistakes as chances to learn or grow emotionally. This is a sign of becoming our own loving parent. That's the reading. Um, so I guess now I start with um, the, the chair. So I was um, like, I went into AA first, and um, and that's how I first came into twelve step fellowships and stuff. And it's funny whenever I do a chair in AA, I always um, I say, oh, I grew up in a dysfunctional household. You know, my dad was a crazy household. My dad was an alcoholic, um, but my brother and sister grew up in the same household, and they're not alcoholics. So you know, my my alcoholism is mine and, and it's an illness um, but I guess here it's a place where you know I mean being sober and coming into ACA I've realized how much damage um, and how bad the stuff was you know in that growing up 
and uh, it's kind of there's so many similarities but not similar I found great, coming into AA by the time I got into AA I was drinking every day I was just I'd become my father I never thought I would be like that and um, and it's uh, coming into AA and starting to get sober I started realizing just how sick I was with the drink I just I couldn't see it while I was drinking I was in total denial and similarly in ACA it's almost like I look back now and I go, how could I not have realized, you know, how much damage that did? And and that's, for me, a huge um, learning process of learning to have some empathy for myself and for the child, not self-pity. And um, and I abhor self-pity. <laughs> I mean, there's the other side of the, the other laundry list, you know, that just, the first time I heard that in an ACA meeting, I was like, that is so me. And... Um, but I, um, yeah, I hate self-pity and I hate weakness and blah, blah, blah. And that's, I don't actually hate it. It just evokes that feeling in me um, because I fear it. Um, but that thing of getting, of coming into ACA and just getting so much identity, I had the same thing when I went into AA because, and I love that reading that you chose because um, going into AA was the first time that I heard people being absolutely honest about their feelings and talking about drinking. And the worst thing is they were laughing. They were laughing about the stuff they did when they were drunk and about being an alcoholic. And I thought, how can you laugh about being an alcoholic? It was, to me, it was, you know, the, the reading I chose in ACA is about condemning yourself. When I had to concede that I was an alcoholic, I condemned myself. I condemned, like, that is, you know, you are the worst type of being in the world and that's why you're an alcoholic, you know, because that's what I thought it meant to be an alcoholic. And um, so growing up in my home, my dad was the alcoholic and when I was very young, uh, up till the age, so we had quite a crazy upbringing. My, my poor mother, I um, she wasn't an alcoholic. She did go through a phase of drinking a lot and getting very drunk, but I don't know if she was an actual, I don't know. Um, but they, so we have Italian family and we all went to South Africa. No, we were born in Italy. My mum's South African, grew up in South Africa. And I just want to say South Africa is a difficult place to grow up in if you don't believe in apartheid. Um, and if you're aware of the fact that the rest of the world doesn't function in the way they do in South Africa. And I found it very troubling as a child. Um, and, but that was just, you know, an additional thing. And, and funny enough, my dad, is, as bad a man as he was considered by people, he was very, very firm with me about knowing that, you know, the situation in South Africa was unique. Like in other countries, in the rest of the world, it doesn't matter what the, the skin colour is. But um, so growing up, we grew up in South Africa. My dad was a, you know, rip-roaring. His alcoholism obviously progressed uh, to a point he also did very risky business and he lost all his money. And so we went from having a whole lot of money, a huge house, chauffeurs and stuff, to having absolutely nothing. My dad pissed off to um, uh, Italy and left us in South Africa. My mom was alone with our three kids. And we were very, very, very poor. So we were, I was a, a poor kid who, you know, anyway. Uh, and uh, that st sticks with me. And there's a lot of stuff that happened then when I, and I was very much the abandoned child. So my mom, you know, my brother still went to the good school and I had to go to this other school and I got bullied and I wasn't eating and I started self-harming and then, um, and also things that happened, you know, the other types of abuse from other family members, people take advantage of, you know, kids and stuff. Um, 
And then my dad came back and he was still drinking and he was he was at fall down pissing himself. You know, even now, I hate to say this, but when I smell the smell of stale pee, that reminds me of my dad, which is terrible. And I loved my father very much. But um, he was that kind of drunk. And uh, I'd come from home school and he'd be lying there and stuff. And um, he, he was never violent. He was once violent to me where he hit me and I fell into this glass case and I was concussed. And he never hit me again but he was very violent my mother and my brother and um uh but then he stopped drinking miraculously and uh, i still remember the day he said to me um we were looking out the window and there was a nice car drove by and he said to me america papa's gonna stop drinking and um, this time next year we're gonna have a nice house nice cars do you believe me and i said yes i do um and then and we did within a year and all of it was risky. You know, my father did so much illegal business. It was insane. Um, and that was part of his addiction. And I didn't understand anything about my dad and his, like, being a dry drunk. When I learned that in AA, I was like, oh, my word, that was my father. He was, that, it's so explained why the next eight years he didn't drink, but he was terrible to live with. He was still very violent. He'd have temper tantrums, break things, draw blood from my mum. We'd have to, you know, I had a younger sister who we always kept safe. You know, we'd put in a room while he was cooking off. And um, and risky business, a lot of gambling. He had a place in Italy, a place in South Africa. We never knew where he was. Sometimes his PA, we'd have to call his PA and it would be my birthday. And he just, he'd, she'd be like, well, actually he's up gambling up in, you know, North Africa or whatever. So um, he lived very chaotic, erratic life, incredible, incredibly critical. All the stuff that a dry drunk is very, um, so much mental damage that he did. Very, you know. And my mum during that time was that's when she started drinking a lot, and she'd often she'd just be standing there like in the kitchen with wine and cigarettes and getting drunk. And, um, and my mum and I, I didn't have a good relationship at all. And I was the apple of my father's eye. He, he would speak to me about all stuff that adults aren't meant to speak to a child about, really. You know, talk to me about his gambling problems and, you know, what he did to my, you know, two-timing my mother. And, and he treated my mother like dirt. He belittled her in public and in front of us all the time. All the time, he'd be like, you're a Buddha, you're a South African, what do you know? We have to educate you in Italy. And, you know, that's kind of total degradation. And, um, yeah, feared my father a lot, but also loved him a lot because he made me feel special. You know, and I am, um, and my brother was, you know, this dysfunctional family. So my brother, I always grew up with my brother calling me Sadas, and my sister was called Princess, and he and I used to be all the time. And, you know, my brother was physically quite violent with me, and I had to go to the doctor a few times. Um, so my dad was my protector with my brother. And anyway, so all that dysfunction in the house, and I'm just keeping an eye on time. Um, so, you know, when I got to being a teenager, I, I purposely got into a group of people at school who were very popular and went out because I wanted my brother. My brother always told me I was a loser and, you know, all of that. And they were all drinkers. And in South Africa, people drink a lot. So I went into the drinking culture. My drinking was, you know, everybody experienced it. And it's one of those countries like England where everybody gets drunk and, you know, experiment with booze. So there was no, nothing different there. But I will say when in AA, having looked back on my drinking, from my first drunk, I went into blank up, blank, blackout. And I was trying to jump off the balcony and they were trying to pull me back, you know. And um, 
that that desire to harm myself was really predominant in my drinking. I, I go to purposely leave clubs in the middle Brixton, dangerous place in London, and go, and I did it in Cape Town, South Africa as well, and go and lie between two cars um, in the hopes that, you know, well, if I die, then I didn't really kill myself. It was an accident, you know. Um, but I, you know, so really, and I say that now because this is ACA and I understand now why I had this compulsion to harm myself all the time. Um, and um, anyway, though, it wasn't, my, my dad got sick. He got physically sick. He had a stroke. He lost all his money in Italy because they found out of his illegal business with mafia. And then they, they completely freeze all your accounts. All his money was frozen. Lost his money, got had a stroke, then he got cancer in the larynx, so his, his voice box was removed, which was probably the worst thing that could happen to a man who likes to shout and scream and dominate everybody with his voice. And sometimes I thought it was quite an irony of the gods that he did that that happened. No, actually, I, quite a, I, I thought he was punished by God. I thought God had punished him and taken away his larynx. Uh, so, so, but anyway, he had, did start drinking again and um, very quickly declined. My brother threw him out the house. There was very little money that he had. And in the end, it was just me on the phone all the time with my dad. He wanted to kill himself. He wanted to kill himself. I knew he had guns. And then, anyway, um, he did. And it was after I, I said to him, you know, I just want you to be my father again. And... Um, just, yeah, just want you to be my father. Don't call me when you like this. And I put the phone down and I put it off the hook and that was when he shot himself. And I am, um, you know, it's obvious that I, I would have taken the blame for his death, but I still today I really struggle with that and it has dominated a lot of my uh, life and in sobriety, the unwellness that I feel in sobriety. Anyway, but um, I, however, was... I was at university at that time and I was drinking like crazy and I just didn't, you know, everybody excused my drinking and my bad behavior. That was the worst thing. It's my behavior when I drank was the worst thing in terms of, for me, my shame. And everybody excused it because they said, oh, Marika's, you know, going through a hard time, her dad's unwell, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and of course I learned that trick quite quickly. It was like, well, the pity pot. Because I continued to drink. I came to London. I got into a relationship with someone who was a massive drinker. I had been in a relationship with a South African person for seven years who never drank, never got drunk, but totally took care of me all the time. And um, and that would also be my excuse. You know, when I'd behave really badly, you know, sometimes I'd be screaming and shouting at him and he'd be literally carrying me, you know, back home to safety. And... Um, I always used the card of the pity me card, like, oh, look what happened to me when I was younger and my dad and all that stuff, and, you know, to get me out of bad behavior. So there was nothing, you know, anyway, I always had an excuse for everything, but hey, I was an alcoholic and I was in denial and my disease progressed. I left that relationship, went into a relationship for five years with someone who was a massive drinker because I could hide behind his drinking until he even asked me to stop drinking. <laughs> So can you just slow down, like have a baby, stop working and have my babies? And I was like, I can't not drink for nine months to have a baby. You know, I was like, you know, and I didn't think that that was strange. You know, I am. Um, and then I was living by myself and I was drinking every day. And typical ACA, I was um, working. You know, when I, when I do this thing of compare, comparing how I was in drinking and, and say typical ACA, it's not. It's, I think now that that is my ACA. I haven't finished the ACA steps and I'm not, you know, an expert, but I, 
I believe my my the things I identified with in ASCA was the fact that I was so dedicated to work. Like that was it was also control. I mean, coming into AA, control was really hard to let go of. That's step three. Um, and because I'd go into work and I had a really responsible job, I was you know in charge of I managed people and I was doing really well at work. And then going home and getting totally pissed, and I wouldn't go out anymore because I couldn't trust myself when I went out and I didn't want to go out I just wanted to drink by myself and go into complete oblivion and um and it was horrible you know just the stuff like waking up and going and just yourself on the couch and you know and I was doing that and not go and not it wasn't clicking in my mind I'm an alcoholic like my dad you know and to me alcoholics my when my father killed himself the worst thing is that I actually felt relief and I had, that's the biggest guilt I ever had was that I felt relief because his situation was so dire. And, um, and I still feel terrible about it now, but that is the reality is that that's how I felt. And that's why when I, with my drinking, eventually I did actually go into work drinking because I thought, fuck it, I'm going to kill myself tonight because I knew I was totally addicted. I was drinking every day was coming out sideways, people were realising. And um, and my people tried to take me to a rehab and stuff like that. So I went into work drunk and then tried to kill myself that night and the fire brigade came and um, my brother was there with the fire brigade. They had to break down the door and everything. And and then because of that, (laughs) I went to AA. Otherwise, there was no way. I didn't believe that there was any hope for an alcoholic. I just didn't believe there was hope. Um, and I'd never heard of AA, and I went. So I went to AA meetings, and I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed. I thought, "Here we go. This is going to be a punishment going to AA." And uh, instead, I got hope. Um, and like I said, it was the first time I got identity with people. I love. I do. I love and hate alcoholics. <laughs> so they're part of being an alcoholic, and I think that's normal. That's everybody. You either you hate and love AA, you know. And I've been through that process. Um, but AA rescued my life. Because I was hell bent on killing myself, I thought well, I was. My plan was go to AA, get just tr- stay, try and stay sober by white knuckling it. Because I went, I was just going crazy when I drank. I went straight into black blackout and ending up in AE quite a few times with like stuff. And um, it was just insane that the insanity that I would be sober and pick up another drink after the stuff that was happening when I drank was just crazy. And um, so coming into AA, they saved my life. You know, the love in the rooms, the tolerance to my emotions. My emotions were all over the place. I was crying, I was laughing. A lot of crying, though, a lot of crying the first year. I found it so hard to be sober. And um, and I, I, I took too long to do the steps because I, I didn't like the control. I hated the fact that I'd have the sponsor telling me what to do. Um, but luckily I got to a rock bottom in that where I did nearly, I went and bought a rope and I really was going to take my life because I couldn't live sober without a drink, without something. And I know now that alcohol was numbing my emotions. I was using it as a medicine. Like when people say it's a medicine, I'm like, yes, it was a medicine. Like what else, you know, we're going to have all this food and everything else that comes along later. (laughs) They don't tell you about in your first year. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I'm so grateful to AA. It saved my life, and it taught me a lot about my dad. Because, like I said, I loved my father, but he was—he did some bad stuff, really bad things. 
like you know really bad awful stuff and I will tell you no I won't tell you one but um it's, it's, it's something that he did that I thought this, that that would be the reason why he was punished by God and had all these awful things happen to him. But um, he's his own adult, you know. He made choices in his life, and I have to, you know, I'm learning to realize he's just a human being, a child, and um, and he was unwell. Um, but uh, so that's my sobriety journey in a nutshell. <laughs> um, becoming a lunatic like my dad and thinking that you only die and then AA. And then, um, and you know, the funny thing about AA, I always I get quite cynical. I love that reading because it's spiritual progress, not perfection. I always remind myself of that because, again, a trait that I relate to being an adult child is a total perfectionist. Like things had to be effing perfect. And I had to be perfect, and anything less than perfect just wasn't good enough. And I'm, it's one of the biggest blessings of AA that I actually don't mind being. I love making mistakes now, which is a good thing because I make so many. And um, and things like being in the work environment and being able to say I don't know, I was never able to do that ever. You know, and work was such a fear. You know that imposter syndrome, which I heard about in AA. I was like, bloody hell, that's me. Two minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Ask Maria to let me know, and I've got two minutes. I'm half Italian, right? So I could just talk the whole night, and I won't. I'll finish in two minutes. Um, But you know, going into AA, and what I'm grateful for this group is that um, there's a sense in AA that if you aren't happy, joyous, and free, you're not doing the steps, or you're not doing the program right. And I know not everybody in AA is like that, but I'd often feel that way. And I went into a really, when my mum died, after my mum died, so she was the one that, I'm in denial about any, I know that she neglected, there was neglect from my mum because she was with her own stuff, but um, she did give us love. And I'm always grateful to my mum that if it wasn't for her, we would, me and my brother and sister would seriously be screwed up. So thank heavens for the, the genuine love that she did give us. Um, and when she died, I really, I, I was probably, it is the worst thing I've ever had to experience. And I, I was devastated. Um, and uh, various other things happened. I started pulling away from AA because I felt really depressed and I felt criticism from my sponsor. And I just went down and down and down. And now I always say that AA isn't, can't help with everything, uh, but it certainly stops you from the worst, you know. And for me, the worst did happen. I really got unwell, very isolated. Started thinking suicide again, because that is self-harm and suicidality is something that I know, I read a lot about in our ACA literature and I completely relate to, and it has hounded me all my life, all my life from, my first suicide attempt was 13 and it was a damn good attempt. attempt. And not today, but often there are dark days for me where I think, I wish when I was 13, when I came out of the hospital and they told me, you know, there's hope, you don't have to, you know, think or live like this. I wish I could go back to my 13-year-old self and say they're lying. You're going to have a really shit life. Go and do it properly now before all of that happens, you know. And I, sorry, that's not a very recovery thing to say. That's my critical parent and that's why I chose the reading because I can't help condemning myself and I do it all the time um, and I now have a fellow traveler in ACA and they are gonna they're also in AA which I, I think for me is helpful um, and I'm gonna try and do the steps with them in ACA which I've feared doing for a long time I've been coming to meetings a lot and I um, regularly attend ACA meetings and I tried doing the steps but I 
find it does bring up, I'm scared, I guess, I'm scared. And I'm scared of, um, you know, I've lived my life for so long condemning myself and believing there's no hope. That, um, and a little time reminder. Thank you, Maria. Um, that I guess it's pretty scary to, you know, where they say um, it might be shit, but it's warm, meaning, you know, the way I think and the way I talk to myself and I condemn myself to, you know, I don't, my, my condemnation is that I don't deserve to live. And when I went into that dark place in sobriety, I, I, I had, a, you know, a real suicide attempt, very well planned, very well organized. I had all my stuff in order and ready, so nothing left for my family. And I didn't drink. Um, and I obviously didn't <laughs> didn't succeed. Um, but I got sectioned and I was on a mental health ward. And being sectioned is one of the worst things that can happen. And I work in mental health. And it was one of the darkest periods of my life, but it brought me into SAM. And um, thank heavens I came to ACA because then, like they say, AA stops the bleeding, keeps you alive. ACA heals the wound. Um, and my wounds aren't healed. I know that I'm a critical parent. It's almost like I need permission to stop the critical parent, and it's really hard. Um, but I believe in it. I'm going to try. I am going to be giving it a try. I'll tell you how it goes. I'll be coming to this meeting regularly, and that's me. Time up. I hope it's been helpful to someone.